when looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friends! Hello, kiddies. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. And you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. <laughs> choo choo. Alright, we're bringing in over to the dark side, but the man on the phone with me right now to introduce this interview, Jan Murphy. Check his stuff out at thewig.com and Slam Wrestling. God knows why, but what the hell, he does a nice article or two once in a while, videos, all the fun shit, you know. Well, thanks, course, yeah, crazy. Of course, his uh, $20 Canadian getting cash, <laughs> but, you know, I'm still going to plug it anyway. Jan, what's going on? Uh, not a lot. Just uh, you know, living the dream here. How about you? Well, I'd say I'm living the American dream, but in your world and part of mine, uh, that would be gimmick infringement, I believe. <laughs> hey, listen, you guys, you guys got Donald Trump right now. I don't think there's anything better in the headlines uh, for uh, for an outsider like me to be watching. It's like watching wrestling, but uh, in the real world. Uh, <laughs> Talk about a walking gimmick, but that's a here and there. But, you know, since I hinted at the dark side, why not? I knew back in the day you watched a little show once in a while called Tales from the Crypt. I did. I've, again, now I'm dating myself. Uh, although, I would date well, you're myself. 25. Come on. <laughs> not quite. Hey, hey, easy. I'm, 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 I'm turning 40 this year. It's going to be a big ordeal. Oh, yes. Especially for Canadian, but, you know, with all that, you know, beer, Molson's, but we won't go yeah, there either. What, back when I was a kid, I'd sit in my igloo drinking Molson Canadian with my colored money watching Tales from the Crypt. A? <laughs> a? That's right. Uh, oh, Fantastic boy. show. Yes. Uh, but have you seen John Kassir? In any other projects, or is Tales the big thing that you've seen him associated with? Uh, that is the thing for me. Like I say, uh, I have 
you know, haunting memories of that uh, stringy-haired uh, skeleton, uh, you know, from, from my youth. Uh, well, let's put it this way. It's why he drinks. <laughs> no doubt. I've uh, seen some stringy-haired right. skeletons in my day, but that one is the most memorable for me. Oh, so we're not talking about Trish Stratus? <laughs> no, I can't say that about Trish, my lord. She follows me no, on Twitter. She, she'll 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 be very angry at me if if I if I. She is no, right up there talk. between. Yeah, she's right up there between. Uh, how do I say this? Wayne Gretzky and Bret Hart, as far as Canadian heroes, but better. Looking. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> String-haired skeletons these days. You know, my mind tends more to think of. Woo, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, or someone. Oh, we can we can throw out the wrestling references all day long. <laughs> but I'd say before we throw it to the interview, let's make sure you check out Jan. We'll have him on more uh, more often with uh, a lot of wrestling scoops. We'll have to get the WrestleMania trip uh, scoops home and whatnot. Chinlock.com, TheWig.com, and Slam Wrestling. Check out Jan Murphy. Let's throw it to the interview.
the line right now is John Kesser from – but yes, excuse me. Uh, he had me chuck on there. Uh, best known as stand-up comic, actor, voice work, but definitely known for his voice work for Tales from the Crypt. John, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, you know what? I can't complain. I know you got a busy schedule coming up. You're traveling east to do a convention. Uh, what is it like doing those conventions? You? Uh, you know, it's a lot of fun for me. Um, I mean, this time I'm going to be going to Monster Mania in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is a lot of fun. Um, you know, I uh, when uh, the show was originally on the air, I didn't get much chance to do it because uh, because we were so busy. All the time, <laughs> I was working myself to the bone. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, over the years, I've realized that um, the fan base has just gotten bigger and bigger because of people that have grown up on the show. Um, I loved the comic books as a kid, so I'm a huge horror fan myself. Uh, the Universal horror movies were my were my first love of horror, and um, so you know, for that reason, the uh, of course, the conventions are a lot of fun to go to, and then of course they're also fun because I get to meet, uh, you know, not only some of the other horror icons that we have a good time together, but um, also the uh, the fans. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a good time. We, you know, I like to. I'm not one of those people that, you know, just kind of like signs the photograph or whatever. You know, people come to ask me or whatever, and then say goodbye. You know, I like to spend some time with each and every person that comes up and and uh, get to know them a little bit and you know party with the uh, with the fans and um, you know and if they get some memorabilia on top of it, that's really great. So it's a good time for me. Um, well, do you get a chance to uh, during breaks or whatever from signing autographs, pictures, kissing babies, all that? Do you get a chance to go out into the vendor rooms and check out some of the merchandise? Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, not always, it depends on how busy it is, you know, obviously you want to be at your seat for the fans, but, um, you know, we do some photo ops and that kind of thing, and, and you, you know, um, uh, or uh, Q&As and that kind of thing for the fans, but uh, I love going out and seeing all the different vendors, and, uh, you know, they're the best t-shirts you find anywhere, always at the corner conventions, I'm just always amazed at the ones that come up to my table, you know, people that come up to my table, uh, with different uh, T-shirts, and you know, people send, sell all kinds of things, uh, interesting jewelry and, and uh, you know, paraphernalia. But there's also been, uh, <laughs> they even have some tattoo artists set up at certain conventions. I've had a number of people come up to me with Crypt Keeper tattoos, have me sign them, and they go have my signature tattooed. Which at first was a little weird for me, but uh, you know, I think it's it's kind of cool if you have one thing like that in your career that people would be that excited about. Um, you know, you're really lucky as an actor after 35 years of doing this for myself. You know, I've been an actor since I was pretty young, and um, it's a good time. Well, speaking of the Crypt Keeper, uh, uh-huh. what would you say is your favorite part of being known for that character? Um, gosh, my favorite part of being known for it? Um, well, I guess one of my favorite parts about it is it was such a great show. Um, you know, obviously I voiced the Crypt Keeper, but, you know, Kevin Yeager did such an amazing job 
creating the puppet and um the puppeteers uh were amazing as well uh in the job that they did in bringing him to life uh the creep keeper sequences were directed by Kevin Yeager as well and really and done really well and then the show itself um yeah had the biggest producers in the business Joel Silver uh Richard Donner Walter Hill Bob Zemeckis David Geiler who did Alien so i mean these were the biggest guys in the business and and uh, some of them still are and um uh you know to get on board to a show that had so many great people involved uh it's pretty amazing pretty amazing opportunity um so that was one of the you know the best parts about it is you know you get to do some really great parts in your career but not everybody gets to often see them or even know those parts at all i mean i did eight tv series with my face on camera and and you probably couldn't remember most of them but uh you know tales from the crypt has been around a long time so you know it's great to be a part of uh, a quality program that everybody knows about well speaking of which uh working with such great people and kevin yeager and everybody you mentioned there uh, once you got comfortable with the character, did you feel good enough to make suggestions for the character? Oh, yeah, sure. And we'd, whatnot? we'd play around. I mean, they had great writers, so uh, you know, I can't take right, I can't take credit for most of the dialogue on that. But you know, I'd be working on the show and cracking people up, and we'd have some ideas. And I'd be doing the Crypt Keeper as John Wayne, or I'd be doing the Crypt Keeper as Marlon Brando, Stella. You know, this kind of thing. And the next thing I know, they're writing a sequence for that, uh, you know, that idea. Um, I remember one day uh, we were making jokes and I said, uh, you know, I love a girl who'll give you head and then let you keep it. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, it wound up as one of the uh, one of the lines uh, in the show where the Crypt Keeper sitting in bed with, a, with his goo friend. And uh, her head falls off into his lap, and he he nice. you know lays out that line. It was good. It's very funny stuff. Nice. Uh, while developing that voice, where did you end up finding it, and how close was the audition voice to what was on the show? Um, you know, it's funny. The, uh, the what I originally auditioned is what you hear today. Um, I went into Kevin Yeager's studio uh, is where they had the auditions. And, uh, of course, I had already done a series for HBO called First and Ten, and I had worked on Dream On and some other uh, shows. I had I had won Star Search as a stand-up comedian back in, in the 1980s, beating uh, Rosie O'Donnell in the semifinals and Sinbad in the finals. And, um, and what did those two ever do? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Great careers for both of them. I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, Star Search launched some great careers. The way that uh, some of these music shows are launching, you know, uh, um, Kelly Clarkson and, and these kind of, uh, you know, high-profile uh, musician acts as well, uh, musical acts. Um, but um, I had uh, I had never really done much stand-up. I was doing an off-Broadway show about stand-up comedians. And uh, they saw me in it and asked me to, you know, come on the show as a comedian. And I'm, I told them I'm not really a stand-up comic. I was just a part of playing in the show. And they said, well, you can win $100,000. I went, fuck, I'll do it. Hey, I'm you know, on I there, man. Some I'm money. about my stand-up career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
you know, I could use that 100 grand here, here, and here. What's that? Yeah, I could use that 100 grand here, here, and here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, why not? Yeah, perfect. So, um, you know, I coming from sketch comedy and street performing, uh, you know, to supplement my acting income in the theater in New York, I, you know, I took some of my bits or developed new bits each week and kind of treated it like it was the John Kassir show for two and a half minutes on Star Search. And I kept winning over, you know, the span of a year and a half or whatever it was, seven times on the show or whatever, and wound up winning. So uh, a lot of my act was doing voices and characters, and I would do the Wizard of Oz in two and a half minutes, stuff like that. <laughs> so they knew that I did a lot of voices and asked me to come audition for it. And um, uh, they, um, uh, they, they, uh, you know, and of course I won. So they they said, hey, you know, we need somebody who can be an actor, or a comedian, and and uh, you know can do some create some great voice for the Crypt Keeper. Um, just he had so much glee on his face, which I think is why I I just thought it was really a great idea to bring uh, that aspect of the character. Uh, with the giggling and the chuckling and then laughing at his own jokes. You know, in the in the uh, waiting room, I noticed that there were other actors looking at the script going, oh, my God, these puns are terrible. How, do, how am I supposed to deliver this, you know? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you guys, you know, having collected the comic books as a kid, I was like, you guys don't get it. This, is, this guy loves saying this stuff. So... I just found myself as I was auditioning it for Kevin Yeager, uh, you know, laughing at his own jokes, making him laugh at his own jokes. And, you know, because of the puppet is why I decided to give him so much texture to his voice and, the, you know, the wet sound and the rotting teeth and, the, you know, and making him this cackling bag of bones. And so I did a bunch of jokes in a row for Kevin and then just wound up, you know, building it to this huge screaming laugh. And he was like, oh, man, that's great. That's awesome. And the next day he had me doing it for Joel Silver and, and uh, Richard Donner in their office. And, uh, you know, and I got the part. But, um, you know, at first the puppet, they didn't have as big of a budget. So the puppet, if you notice the first season, the puppet talks slower and more ominously. And that's because, you know, he didn't have as many motors in him. He couldn't talk as fast. So... You know, what I had auditioned with the faster-paced comedic delivery was what I had originally auditioned. And once the show got picked up and they gave him more money to spruce up the Crypt Keeper with more motors and that kind of thing, um, he had like 35 little, uh, you know, hobbyist motors in his face that made it, made everything move. And it took five five or six puppeteers to make him, to make him work. So it's a pretty incredible thing, you know. We'd go into the into the studio, obviously, and record, and then they they could um, choreograph the puppet to to uh, um, you know what I had recorded. Well, and God knows what it being in 2016 with the technology and stuff. Oh, I know, I know. But <laughs> things that you've been, like you said, in the entertainment field for 35 years now. What type of work do you find easiest to do, but also most difficult? Um, 
You know, I mean, theater is uh, in a lot of ways the most difficult, but at the same time the easiest because you get a lot of rehearsal, which is great, um, unless you have to step into something with a short amount of time. You don't get a lot of rehearsal. Um, obviously, you're trying to uh, bring something to it that takes a lot of a uh, lot of work. Uh, I mean, it just starts with the memorization of of, uh, of your dialogue, and um, and from there it goes into all the blocking. And if you're doing a musical, it's the choreography, and and not only what you're doing on stage, but making sure you're doing everything right off stage. So when you're supposed to come on, you come on, and when you're supposed to go off, you go off, and all those things. It's a lot of technical aspects to it. Well, one of the hardest things is and when you're doing film and television, very often you don't have any of that rehearsal. So, you know, everything's done in pieces, but at the same time you're expected to come in and bring it to life and nail it without a lot of preparation very often. You don't know the actors as well. You know, you, you know I've been, you know, when I was on First and Ten, they threw me, they'd throw me in, into a bunch of love, you know, love scenes with uh, actresses and stuff that I, I had just met. Um, you know this kind of thing. So it's everything has its challenges, but I've I've always loved the theater. Of course, it pays the least, so that that does, that takes a little bit of the fun out of it. But uh, <laughs> you know, you get to and and not only that, when you're working on a play, you get to bring it to life every night and continue to try to you know work on it and deepen it and find new things. And every night when you're out there in front of an audience with other actors, you're trying to find something that didn't happen the night before and, and uh, find life in it, which is really great. Um, you know, motion capture wasn't easy uh, doing that for Jack the Giant Slayer. I played uh, Smallhead, uh, half of uh, General Fallon, who's the, the, the main giant in Jack the Giant Slayer. And, you know, you're, you show up on the on the volume and you're wearing these ridiculous suits with spots all over them and reflectors <laughs> and that kind of thing. And you're performing for a room full of guys on computers that are all monitoring you digitally and visually and and virtually. Um, it's kind of like performing for NASA. Um, and, you know, you're working opposite actors like Stanley Tucci and Ewan McGregor. And, and you know, of course, I had the pleasure of creating a, a character that was half me and half British actor Bill Nye. So that was, you know, that's one of the most amazing things I got to do. But at the same time, it was very difficult because you have nothing there except your imagination, and you're bringing it to life. So playing the smaller of the two heads, we use Bill's body and head and uh, as the character. And so I had to mirror everything that Bill did physically and then act separately with my head and my right arm. So that... <laughs> That was not an easy thing to do, but it was it's really great. You know, you do you do all that on the volume, which is the the space that has all the cameras and the virtual setup and um they put it together over time with uh you know, what they recorded of you and and what the artists render on top of your face instead of makeup and that kind of thing. It's pretty it's a pretty interesting uh process. Well, got the most difficult question for you since you've had a nice tenure in the field. Uh, uh, do you find the entertainment field being too PC because of how society is? Where if you go back to when you were starting, you had guys like Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and Mel Brooks and, and their respective fields being able to 
go there with whether it's humor or whatever the case oh, yeah. may be. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously things have, you know, reversed themselves in a lot of ways. And, you know, I mean, I was in college in the, in you know, in the uh, mid-70s, uh, you know, to 80, um, you know, which was a big experimental time, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And then, of course, moving to New York in 1980 and living there during, you know, the um, studio 54 days where, you know, I mean, the, the city was changing, but it still there was uh, it had its underbelly, which was uh, a pretty interesting place to grow up. So, you know, I mean, there's, you know, being in the entertainment business is an experimental part of it, but now everything is so, so much in the media and everything is so much social media that, People get, I mean, I I get frustrated with seeing people fight about things, thinking they're going to change other people's minds because they, they somebody makes a funny comment and then everybody attacks them on Facebook or something. I'm <laughs> like, it's like, this was meant to be humor. Whatever your stand may be, this humor came from something that a lot of people are thinking, whether you're thinking it or not, and somebody had the nerve to say it for a laugh. And, um, you know, people are going to take themselves seriously. I mean, hopefully, you know, over some time as our country heals from a lot of the economic problems that it's had and some of the terrorist problems that it's had. And, um, you know, I was in, in New York when uh, when um, 9-11 happened, and it was not a, uh, a great thing to live through. And um, obviously our nation lived through that. And so um, – there is a lot of, you know, PC things going on to help heal those things. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but um, I think that the entertainment industry is trying really hard to to, to bring variety um, to what people see, and I think that cable television is helping with that. I think it's really great. Tales from the Crypt was it was a great show. You know, it didn't didn't strive to be PC at all. It strove to, you know, the comic books back in the day when they were released had to be PC because, you know, they they weren't PC, but people were striving for them. Mothers thought that these comic books caused, you know, juvenile delinquency to their kids. They thought that they went too far, and to the to this day, those comic books, uh, comic books in general have, uh, you know. A uh, an age rating on them, the same as as uh, content rating on them, the same as movies do, and um, you know, yet Tales from the Crypt, the show, when it came out um, in the uh, late '80s, early '90s, through the middle of the '90s, uh, you know, strove to break those barriers again and say uh, we don't need to be PC. We can you know bring whatever we want to it. And if you would ask me if little kids were watching that when it was originally on, I would be like, no effing way. You know, these kids uh, just have nudity and language and gore and horror themes and this kind of thing. But I found out that they were, that everybody was watching it. Now, the, And like I said, now the fan base is bigger than ever. So I know people want to have the opportunity to see and do and uh, do things that are uh, out there. And I think that Cable television gives us the opportunity to pay extra money to go see something that we want to see, whether it's you know PC or not. I loved Deadpool. <laughs> I thought there it was great. Go. You know, I did the I originated the voice of Deadpool in the games, like um, 
you know, X-Men Ultimate Alliance and, and um, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man and some of these games, uh, the earlier games when Deadpool showed up, I was the original voice of Deadpool, and I had always wanted to take him further, but, you know, being a game that kids played and that kind of thing, it was just so far that I knew that they would let me take it or that they were willing to take it, and so I, you know, kept my mouth shut, but... Um, you know, now I see where it could go by, you know, the the public was ready for Deadpool to be the guy that he was in this movie. <laughs> Excuse me. And, um, and uh, you know, so that was that was kind of a cool thing. So I think uh I think we'll see we'll see uh you know, there there's some somebody that's always gonna get their their panties in a twist. You know, when you say the wrong thing, um, but look at look at Donald Trump. He doesn't care about being crazy at all. <laughs> no, I don't know if that makes him a very good presidential candidate or not. Right, yeah, wrong, and different. You know where he's thinking. Yeah, I mean, you know, on some level, you, you know, you, it's it's not so much Donald Trump you're worried about, but you know, how many people might support some of his more absurd and um, you know uncaring um, uh, policies. Uh, and at the same time, he's a smart enough man to maybe do the job if he, if he, uh, you know, represents the country well. But who knows? You know, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get political on it. I think, I think the Clinton yeah. would make the best candidate. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But last question for you, as you brought it up, Deadpool and games and whatnot. Uh huh. When you go to this convention this weekend, how many fans do you think will realize that was you? Back in that commercial for Nintendo, oh, for Legend of Zelda. 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 Um, you know, some people do. Uh, you know, I've had fans send it to me on my Facebook page and that kind of thing. Uh, I didn't even realize that it was on YouTube uh, until somebody sent it to me, um, which was a funny thing. It took me half a day to shoot it, and I showed up, and, you know, this was one of the first big games that anybody played here, you know, after Pong. <laughs> you know, it was the first actual interactive kind of game that people were playing. It had already become big in places like Japan, and it was, you know, a console with a big tape that looked like an 8-track tape that you put in. <laughs> and um, and it was a great game. And uh, so they made me up looking like a racer head, um, you know, with my hair sticking straight up and that kind of thing. And, I, you know, they, they showed me the game and had me do it impersonations of all the different parts of the game and we just shot it in all different ways and they put together that commercial um it's really fun to watch that stuff after all these years you know it seems like it was yesterday but uh you know it's a long time ago now yeah i'm not going to give away my age but i yes i was old enough to play that console and game myself so <laughs> i was of that generation <laughs> well john safe travels hey, thanks a lot. Uh, i'm actually flying I'm flying up as well from Orlando to attend the show, so we'll oh, definitely great. have to have a beer with you. I look forward to seeing you in person. And be careful what you ask for, kitties. You may get it. <laughs> <laughs> here.
and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Don't take a nap. <laughs> 